Anyone who kills you will think that he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. In that same chapter, we're going to go down to verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And then we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12, or 1 through 11. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit, so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Randy. Good morning, church. This morning we are here, as Randy said, and I, I like those encouraging words, that we are here to sit under the authority of the Word of God, and then together to submit to it, to realize that it has a better understanding of me. The Word of God has a better understanding of the culture in which I live. The world has a better understanding of the struggle that I am going through. The Word has um, words of life that are given to me. 
And one of the things that I, I noticed a number of times as I was studying this text, and then I really picked it up when Randy was reading it. Sometimes it's good to listen to someone else. Did you know that on your Version app, you can actually like push a button and it will, it'll start reading it to you? How many of you would like to take advantage of that? I love to take advantage of that. I love to take advantage of that. Another one is there's a, there was an app that came out, or at least that we became really connected to last year when COVID kind of first started called the Dwell app, D-Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. Um, and when you listen to that, it's actually got some music, and, and I was really actually blessed and encouraged uh, during a lot of time of being alone, just having the word of God spoken over me. And one of the things that I, I just I found over and over and over again was like, well, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. And I still need to hear it again, and I need to hear it again, and I need to hear it again. And, and that's what the Bible um, intentionally has been designed realizing that, yes, we may have heard it, but we need to hear it again. And that's what I picked up when Randy was reading. Jesus says to the disciples over and over and over again in John chapter 16, Jesus says, I tell you these things. I speak these things to you. I told you these things. I reminded you of these things. I told you of these things. And then at the very end, verse 33, once yet, once again, that's why I have spoken to you these things. And it is this repetition of God's word that doesn't just educate us. It's not just a matter of information. I think we need to be very honest and truthful that we really don't have as primarily an informational problem. That's not it. It's not that we struggle in life merely because we do not know. No, I would argue that the major struggles that I have or the major failures that I go through is not that I did not know or I was completely unaware or if I had just had the information. How many of you have made a wrong choice but you had the right information? Yeah, every day. I made the right choice or the wrong choice with the right information. How, how does that happen? And, and that's why what I, I love what we're going to be looking at today, the words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 16 and the words from the, the book of Hebrews that are describing this struggle that all of us are in. And it's not just a matter of information. Didn't you know? Yeah, I knew. I, I was just, here's how it feels inside of me. Um, I was just unable to overcome. I, I just didn't have the, the strength or I just didn't have the willpower, and, and how often when we are overwhelmed by our sin or by our failures, it doesn't even have to only be with God. You're in a relationship. Um, my, my wife and I would, 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 would read a book about how to have a better marriage, or we'd go to a conference about how to have a better marriage, or we would be convicted by something, and, and we would come up with a, a set of rules that would help. Next time when we do this, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When, when the tensions start to rise up a little bit, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, we're going we're gonna to make sure that we, we don't go to bed. We have all these rules, all these lists. We're going to follow these things. And, and then all of a sudden, she says something. And then I, I don't go, oh, wait, wait a second, Andrea. Can you please hand me the list? I, I want to make sure that we handle this right. No. We ignore the list. And, and we do just kind of just what comes, and this is how we phrase it, what comes naturally to us. And then we find ourselves, yet again, uh, frustrated by our failure and wondering, how did we get here again? How did we get here again? And, and, and what, that's why Jesus has to tell his disciples over and over and over again, I'm saying these things to you. I'm saying these things to you. 
And, and I want to make sure that we understand that we don't come to church to kind of get a shot in the arm, to kind of get that, that little kind of that, that boost so that, that this next week I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. I'm going to, I'm going to learn a, a greater level of discipline. Um, it's interesting that in the text that we see today, the discipline that is being described is the discipline that the father creates for his children. It's not just the children learning to be disciplined. It's, it's the father caring for his sons and his daughters and allowing life, life, the good and the bad and the difficult, the joyful, and, 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 the, and the part of, of life that provides great temptation, that God gives us all of these things and all of life together teaches us, teaches us how to be, and according to the Hebrews text, holy by the way that we respond. And, and that's why it's good for us to remember that what, what God desires for us is not our own willpower to be strengthened. He, he's not trying to create a, uh, a, a group of, of more disciplined, more self-controlled individuals. He's, he's trying to make people, he is making people, who he's already made in his image, he's remaking them in the image of his son. And that's why more than you having willpower to overcome, what, what I, what I want to do this morning is just get a, a better understanding of, of what this opposition that we find, what, what the struggle of life is all about, and how, how the Bible describes what's kind of going on in our lives and what's going on in the world, and how we need to understand the tools um, and the methods of our enemy, the devil, our adversary, so that we can then hear the truth, the eternal truth, the eternal words of Jesus Christ, and then we can know how to live from here. Not just trying harder, but literally leaning into what God so clearly says. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a couple of different places, not just John and Hebrews. We're also going to be looking at the book of Genesis. I want to begin there. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. So the big thing that our, our, our enemy does, the big thing that the devil does, is he is trying to create this, I don't want you to trust the authority of God. I don't want you to trust his word. And we see this at the very beginning. We see this after God has made Adam and Eve, and everything is beautiful, and everything is, is meant in harmony. Adam and Eve are living in harmony with one another. Um, Adam and Eve are living in harmony with God, their creator. And then there becomes a, a wedge that is going to land between them. And it's interesting, where, where, does, that, where does that wedge, what, what does it try to get in on? And it tries to, or it attempts to, chat, to, to break down the belief or the trust or the faith that Adam and Eve had in what God had said. In what God had said. And so if you take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the enemy says, Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And, and he questions that. And, and we all know what that feels like. We all know that God has spoken and that God has said and that the Bible teaches. And then we, huh, did I hear that right? Is that, is that accurate? Is that, is that right? Is that true? And then we, we go back and we find ourselves. And I don't even know if that initial challenge or that initial question is wrong. It's what we do with that challenge. It's what we do with that question that then leads us into temptation. Did God really say 
that you can't eat from any tree in the garden, which, by the way, is not true at all. That the devil, our enemy, lies and deceives and distorts. And, and that's why the, the kind of questions that are asked can really set us up for failure <clears throat> if we're not careful. The kind of questions that are even posed to us. Doesn't God love you? Well, if God, if God really loved you, then why wouldn't he give you what you desire? If God really cares for you, why wouldn't he answer your prayers? Did God really say, and, and these are the questions when they are left in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our difficulties where we begin to wonder, did I hear that right? Maybe that's the reason why Jesus says, I spoke these things to you and I spoke these things to you and I reminded you of these things, not, not because they were ignorant, but because they were doing what everybody else does, which is they were just trying to replay those words in their mind over and over again. Can you imagine what, how many times Abraham had to wonder Okay, you said you were going to make me into a great nation, and I can't even have a child. You don't think he was wondering if maybe he had heard that wrong? And, and then our enemy goes on to say, look at verses 4 and 5. After he throws up the question, did, you, did God actually say this? Then he comes right out, and he completely opposes the words of God. No. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what begins with a question ends with an accusation. Kind of think through that. What begins with some of our questions about God and about his word can often end up with an accusation. Especially when we are find ourselves in the midst of difficulties and in the midst of hardships, in the midst of troubles, in, in the midst of this war that is waging inside of us in both our heart and our mind, trying to read this book, trying to respond to life circumstances, trying to remember the word of God and then manage what appears to me many times a more real relationship with my wife and my children and my friends and my community, the world around me, and all of these claims that are being made about truth and about me and about God. And, and now I have to try to figure out where am I going to go and what am I going to trust? So the enemy begins by asking questions. It leads to rather stark accusations. And, and as we know, Adam and Eve decide that instead of trusting what God said, they, they noticed that the fruit was, 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 was good and uh, they desired it. And so they took it and they ate. And, and that one thing they couldn't undo. They couldn't undo it. And I wish I could say it just kind of ends there. But, but it doesn't end there. That the devil isn't just interested in us facing some kind of temptation, even when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, who also endured temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, when the devil goes to him and begins making these accusations, um, you, you probably know this, what Jesus does in response to the devil's accusations is he refers back to scripture. But the scriptures say, but the scriptures teach. These are the things that I know to be true because God has spoken them to be true. And that is how he deals with temptation. But if the devil can't get us to give in with temptation, then there is greater pressure that is applied to us. And that is why Jesus in John 16 goes further to remind his followers and to remind his disciples 
that it's not just going to be words that are going to be spoken, but there's going to be an increased sense of pressure upon them, upon the followers of Jesus Christ, that the more that they follow him and that the more that they buy into his way of living and his way of thinking, his way of responding to difficulties, it's not going to get easier. But in fact, since the world from the beginning is opposing God, it's just going to get more difficult, which is a good lesson for us to hear. Even though I doubt very many of us were so naive as to believe that once we gave our life to Jesus Christ, it would get easier, I think most of us believe that it should at least be getting some kind of, trying to figure out how to explain this, like a qualified better. Like there should be some clear evidence that what I'm going through is, is clearly being blessed by God or honored by God and, and, and what Jesus wants the disciples to know is it really has to be careful. You have to really wonder like where you're looking. Like where are you looking for better? Where are you looking for easier? Because in this world that is opposed to God and is opposed to his teaching and is opposed to his way, the greater degree of opposition to the words of God and to the way of God, there, there will be therefore greater opposition to those of us who are becoming more deeply, more, more, uh, more, more committed to the words of Christ and to the way of Christ. And so instead of it actually becoming progressively simpler or progressively easier, I would argue it becomes progressively more difficult. The deeper that you and I become like Christ, the deeper that you and I become faithful to the word of God and allow it to shape our thinking and our behavior and our responses in fact, the greater difficulty that you can face most of the time. And that's why Jesus says to them, as he is preparing to leave them in John 16, this is the last week of Jesus' life. And he gathers his disciples and he says, and this is what I've told you, and this is what I've told you, and this is what I've told you, knowing that their time is coming when he is leaving them and he wants them to understand that the difficulties that they are facing are not just happenstance. That the difficulties that they are going through, and, and, and I think what we should hear, is that the difficulties that you and I are going through, the hardships that you and I face, are not just circumstantial. It's not just, well, it's, these are the times in which we live. And oh, I wish I could have lived at an easier time or a better time. First of all, the Bible says it's foolish to say such things. Which time really was better? And the second thing, it, it seems to... Ignore the fact that God is, in fact, in charge in a sovereign way over our lives in terms of the times in which we live, in terms of the places in which we live. This is one thing that Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to know. God himself has set the times in which we live and the places in which we live so that we might reach out to him. And so Jesus wants the disciples to know, don't, don't sit here and wish you could go back into Israel's history and live at a different time. No, this is the time. This is the time that God has given you. And I've spoken these things to you so that you might know. So let's look at John 16 again. I want to look at those first four verses. Not only is there this temptation that is constantly battling us, did God really say that? Or are you somehow missing out on something? One of, the, one of the number one things that I, I find people when they, are, when they are trapped in sin, it's beyond temptation, now they're trapped in sin, and they are, are finding themselves, what am I going to do with this sin that I am now in? And they are so afraid of missing out. They are so afraid that somehow that the word of God and the way of God is, 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 is keeping something from them. 
is robbing something from them. And so they desperately desire. I, I, want, I want more about life. I want there to be more in life. And instead of trusting God, this is more and this is better, we, we begin to, to kind of interpret it in a completely different way. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that not only is there going to be temptation and sin, but this kind of opposition that is going to come needs you to be prepared. So look at verse 1 of John 16 again. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues, which, by the way, is like the, the kind of the centerpiece of Jewish community. One thing that we have a hard time understanding or appreciating is the fact that um, in, a, in, in the ancient world, uh, the average person very, very seldom, if ever, ever traveled more than 18 miles from their home. 18 miles. <laughs> and so they, they lived in this very small and this very aware of one another community. And at the very center of that community, religious, economic, um, social, was the synagogue. And so when Jesus is saying to them that you will be cast out of the synagogue, basically what they're saying is, in the small town in which you live, in the town in which you will most likely have to stay, you will always be on the outside looking in. Because, I mean, when I read this text, I'm thinking, well, then I'm just going to move. I'm just going to take my family. I'm going to go where I'm appreciated. Yeah, that's not an option. So Jesus isn't just telling them, hey, like, oh, yeah, and you can just pick up and just move and buy a house, contact a realtor on the other side of Israel, and you can just start over again. Now, that was a very, 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 only under extreme circumstances would people think about moving away. And, and Jesus says, it's not just temptation, but they're going to ban you from the synagogues, he continues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God, which, by the way, is what they're about to do to Jesus. They're about to kill Jesus. Because why? Blasphemy. Jesus says, for what of these miracles are you wanting to stone me? These good things that I've done. And they said, it's never done to the good things that you have done. But you, being a mere man, claim to be God. And so they thought they were doing something very religious. Something very good by killing Jesus. And Jesus says, that whole thing that you are about to see me see. About to see me endure is something that you are about to endure as well. He says in verse three, they will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told them to you. That's why it's good for us to remember that temptation when it comes is not something that is not normal for a believer. That failure in that temptation when it comes is not something that is not normal in that sense. But what really is the new normal for us is that Jesus Christ has not only given us information, but Jesus also has demonstrated a way in which we can overcome. And that's what Jesus is wanting the disciples to realize. That we're not in this random under, uh, under just kind of fate, under just normal circumstances, just walking through life. We're not somehow reduced to just facing circumstances, but in the end, I want you to number one know that temptations are going to come and oppositions are going to come, but I want you to realize that there is a greater plan and a greater purpose that God has for you. 
Because the end of Genesis 3 is not that Adam and Eve are just expelled from the garden, but that God actually promises that he has a plan of deliverance. That from the lies of the snake, there will ultimately become the destruction of the enemy. And that from the separation that actually happened in the garden, God has a plan of restoration. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that you and I aren't stuck in some kind of cycle of sin and brokenness and opposition. But no, there is in fact God intervening in our lives. God intervening through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. God speaking truth in our lives. But he doesn't just speak. God in the coming of Jesus Christ comes as a deliverer to us. And he comes and he says, I'm not just here to give you instruction. I'm here to do more than that. I want you to realize that I, I want to show you a way. Look at, look at what he says in John chapter 16, verse, verse 33. We kind of jumped down to the end of that. Randy said, now turn the page or turn over and take a look here at the end. Jesus actually says to these disciples, and, and, and one of the concerns that I have, particularly with believers, is the lack of peace that exists in many of our lives. The lack of peace I've often wondered, like, why is it that not just others struggle with peace, but that I struggle with it? Why is it that I, it's not a bad thing to take a deep breath, why do I find myself taking a lot more of them lately? Why do I somehow know all these truths about God and, and yet sometimes find myself being anxious, overly concerned, frustrated? Scared? And it's not just as simple as I just need to, again, be reminded of the words of Jesus. Yes, that is true, but how many of you have been reminded of the words of Jesus and reminded of the words of Jesus and reminded of the words of Jesus and then I got to breathe deep, right? And that's why I'm so grateful for this text because Jesus doesn't just say, I've got some tips for you or I've got some information for you No, Jesus actually says, I've got a way for you. Look at verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I love how he makes it very specific. It's not just I have told you these things and then once you believe them, you'll have peace. I think a lot of Christians hear it like that. That once you commit to follow me, you will have peace. And therefore, when anxiety comes or when um, uh, anxious feelings come, We find ourselves doubting whether or not we really believed it. We find ourselves doubting whether or not we are actually in God's plan or under God's purpose. Instead of realizing that what Jesus is calling us to is not a decision, but an ongoing decision. It's not just a faith claim that was made, but it was a way of living that was determined that I am going to live my life inside the words and the teachings and in the way of Jesus. Now, by the way, again, do not look for, because the Bible nowhere offers us some kind of formulaic quick fix to life circumstances. I believe the life of Jesus, just better than any other example, just dissolves all of that. He faced temptation, just like we did. He faced opposition, so much more than you and I will. And Jesus says, I have told you these things, So that you may have peace in me. 
He says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Interesting. He doesn't say, I have conquered the world, and so you can conquer the world too. And I think that is why you and I get so frustrated, because what you and I are trying to do is to conquer the world. Or our little world. We're, we're trying to conquer our fears. Have you ever tried to conquer their fears? To conquer their temptations? I'm set out. I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to overcome. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out, what am I missing? Why isn't this working? I thought Jesus promised me victory. Well, he does. But notice where he promises it. He promises it in him. And he doesn't say, be courageous. Because you can conquer the world. He says, be courageous because I have conquered the world. I think that's why we're still so broken and so frustrated and so scared is because we just can't get our head around it or we just can't get our heart around it or we just can't get our will around it. Instead of realizing that the thing that brought us to Christ, which is our complete surrender, is the thing that keeps us in Christ, our complete surrender. Be courageous, because Jesus has won your salvation for you, and it comes as a gift, and so we receive it. Be courageous. Knowing that Jesus Christ has not just shown us a way, but Jesus Christ has given us so much more. I love this promise from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, what are we called to do? Not just try harder. No, we are here this morning to remember and to celebrate Jesus and to find our peace in him and to find our strength in him. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, and by the way, if you've ever heard this preach, like a lot, big line of other people who've gone before and they're kind of cheering us on. No, the word there for witnesses is the word there for martyrs. These are people who have followed Jesus. These are people who have followed God. These are people who have followed the way and have died in their, in the, in their, in their, in their opposition. These are ones who have gone and trusted God and been proven faithful. Since we have so many other people who have gone before us, who have trusted God and have endured, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The race of endurance, in order to run any kind of race that demands endurance, we need patience. We need to learn to trust that the struggles and the difficulties that we are going through still somehow stand under God's sovereign control. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Jesus did. Now here, this is where it gets interesting. When we are called to consider Jesus, it's not, and let's learn a technique from him and do the same thing. No. It's let us be grateful for, let us live our lives, 
Let us surrender our will. Let us surrender our, 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 our greatest desires and our greatest hopes and give them completely to Jesus. Because what I love that Jesus offers us is, is an example, and a wonderful example, but it's not the kind of example that we then go and have the same strength and willpower to do. Because we don't. But instead, it's the kind of example that teaches us that those who love God and are accord, called according to God's purpose will suffer and will go through difficulty. And, and, and we need to trust that God will ultimately be the one to vindicate us. This section that is taken from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after Hebrews chapter 11, which is that great line of witnesses. And I've gone back and I've read that a number of, time this, number of times this week. And I realize that all of those names that are actually listed are in the Old Testament. And I sometimes look back on Old Testament saints and I think just, wow, I wish I had lived back then. I wish I could have the, the faith of, of, uh, of an Abraham or the, 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 the bravery of a Daniel or something like that. And, and, and then I realize that Jesus says, no, 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 we have actually so much more. If we live in this world of temptation and opposition, and if God has promised us the way of deliverance, what I love about John chapter 16 is that Jesus offers so much more. And, and this is what I want you to take home this morning with you. Is there a greater awareness and a greater sense of God's presence in you? Because John 16 is not just, I've overcome. It's I've overcome, and I'm going to now give you the Spirit. And that is one thing that I think so many of us fail to recognize because we're looking for a feeling or we're searching for some kind of experience, which, by the way, should be a part of the process. But sometimes um, I, I don't need to feel something to know that it's true. And that is especially true when it comes to biblical things. Jesus promises us in John chapter 16, look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Meaning, I bet you're going to wonder this, but I want, you to remind, I want to remind you, I'm telling you the truth. I know you're going to doubt this, but I am telling you the truth. You're going to wonder like where it is or why it isn't like this or why it's more like that. But I want you to know, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because I guarantee you, they're going, no, that's not a benefit. Jesus, we want you to stay here forever. But it is a benefit for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, then the counselor will not come. If I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and this Holy Spirit that you will have in you will give you strength. The Holy Spirit will be the one that will give you the ability to overcome temptation, to stand in the face of opposition. Last week, I was, uh, Steve was preaching, and so I had an opportunity to teach the Sunday school class in the gym in the book of Philippians. And as I was teaching the book of Philippians, and we were in chapter 2, and it was this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And we were wrestling with the same question that we're wrestling with this morning. How do I live my life in the face of opposition? How do I not just try to do this by my own power? How do I recognize that there is something that God is doing in me, that is God is doing in me? And I'm trying to say over and over and over again, there's a part that we have, and there's a part that God has, there's a part that we have, and there's a part that God has. And at the very end of the lesson, I'm, I'm kind of done, and I said, any last questions? And a young lady raised her hand at the back, and she says, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Church, don't forget the Holy Spirit. 
You're not in this alone. And what, I'm so grateful. The only way that we can have the Holy Spirit is that Jesus, taking on our sin, now can make us holy. And that Holy Spirit that is within you is, is not just to try to give you the ability to resist temptation, although that is part of it. It is not just that the Holy Spirit is given in you so that you can rise up against opposition, although that is part of it. It is not just so that you can know the way and experience peace with God, although that is part of it. But brothers and sisters, it is all of it. It is the presence of God that was robbed in the garden. It is the presence of God that was restored at the cross. And that is what we are here to celebrate this morning. The presence of God within us. So as you go out this week in temptation and opposition and difficulties, don't look for a feeling. Don't look for an experience, although they may come. But remember that Jesus has told us the truth. And you have the Spirit of God living in you. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Do you believe that? Then let us live in that strength and in that Spirit, encouraging one another with the truth that we know to be given to us through the work of Jesus Christ and the sending of his Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus and the presence that we have in the Spirit. God, give us that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isn't it good to know that we do not need to figure this out on our own? Isn't it good to know that we are actually here not to, not to celebrate how great we are? We're not, we're not even here to just lament on how bad we are, no? But we can do both of those things, actually, because we know that God's story is the greater story. And that's what we do every Sunday when we come together, is we remember how our story fits inside of God's story. And there's no other way, no, no better way of doing that, actually, than by remembering what Jesus Christ accomplished. Because the bread and the cup remind us of our need for a Savior. And they remind us of the fact that God provided a Savior. They remind us of the fact that we are broken, but they also, it also remind us of the fact that we are now restored. And so that is why we take this in humble celebration. Taking the bread, the body of Christ, and we eat it. Taking the cup the blood of Christ, and we drink. And now in the same spirit that empowers us and enables us, let us sing praise to our great and loving and merciful God. God. 
guides my heart. You're my hope. 